Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Svelte Radio. Today we have another guest for you all, but first, introductions. I'm Kevin. I run Svelte Radio and Svelte School, and I'm involved in the Svelte community in general. <laughs> I'm Sean. Same here, I guess. <laughs> I don't run anything, <laughs> but I guess I've been working on recently the Svelte Actions package, trying to have a good set of defaults for uh, Svelte to export so it inspires people to use actions more. That's me. Uh, I'm Anthony. I'm the CTO of Bianc, and I'm also a Svelte maintainer, uh, along with our guest today, which is Ben McCann, who is also a Svelte maintainer. A very, very recent one, in fact. Well, not that recent anymore. It's been a while now. So Ben has come in on the back of a huge amount of PRs. I don't know how he produces them so fast. And um, he's really pushed the development of uh, Svelte itself, but also Sapper significantly forward. And um, yeah, what else? What else? I mean, there's, 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 there's a lot to Ben. He's extremely polite and nice. And I really, really, really like that. It's uh, quite refreshing to find a person. And uh, oh, I'll hand it to Ben. Yeah, it's great to be here with you all today. Thanks for for having me on the show. Um, As to how I I get so much done, I don't have a day job right now, so that gives me a little more time. Um, I I started a startup a a few years ago, and so I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm in between companies right now trying to figure out my next one. And and, I picked up Svelte to kind of refresh my tech skills and our, our startup, we were using Angular and uh, don't want to do that again. So uh, <laughs> it's trying to, to figure out what's new in the landscape. And uh, I hadn't been coding for a number of years. I was in more of a management role. So I just wanted to kind of get caught up on the things and uh, really enjoyed been using Svelte these past few months. I'm just, I'm just curious how you first heard about it, because, um, you know, it might in someone in your position, you might just go for React uh, as as sort of the, the most popular framework of the day. Yeah. I, um, so, I mean, one of the ideas that I was experimenting with was for a, a content-based site where I thought that, that speed was going to be really important and performance was going to be really important. And so I really liked that with Svelte, you didn't have to download a runtime like you do with React. And so, you know, the initial page loads were a lot faster. So that, that's kind of how I, I got involved. And then, you know, with Sapper, there were a lot of other really nice performance improvements. And those were some of the, the first things I started working on when I got involved in Sapper. So, you know, one of the things that we did was we added preload headers. So when you first visit a page, will fetch all the assets that you need for that page. So instead of having to wait for, if one script depends on another script, instead of having to wait for the first script to run and fetch that second script, the page will automatically fetch both of those at the beginning. And so we we kind of crawl your dependency tree and, and make sure that those are all uh, fetched at the beginning. And then, you know, it's also got... CSS code splitting, which is something that, uh, you know, had a few bugs in the, the past recent releases, getting that all worked out. But I think that's really gotten to a, a very nice place now where we have, uh, you know, it's always had JavaScript code splitting. And now the, the CSS is really, I think, a lot easier to manage as well. And so um, with all that code splitting, it, uh, you know, it's been a really nice performance benefit of using Sapper. Um, so one, yeah, one thing I want to ask, actually, I meant to mention the intro, intro that you, uh, you were an entrepreneur, but also I believe, and I could be wrong here, but I think you're also a VC of sorts. Is that right? Um, yeah, I've been doing uh, a bunch of investing uh, as an angel investor. And so okay. I've invested in probably about two dozen companies at this point. Wow. Very cool. I, as far as I know, none of them use Svelte, but I'll spread it. <laughs> <good word. laughs> you got to push, you got to push for, for Svelte. Yeah, cool. Are any 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 successes yet of those of that bunch? Or um, we actually have pretty uh, one of the first companies we invested in. Pretty interesting company. They're doing um, water propelled propulsion in space, and wow. uh, they they just announced that they're IPOing. Uh, so that, they announced that late last year, and that should happen sometime Q one. We think. Very cool. Wow. 
I wonder <laughs> how that works. Yeah. That seems yeah, like, uh, that seems crazy. It's, <laughs> it's it's got a nice a lot of nice benefits like a lot of the the chemicals that are used for propulsion traditionally are are very toxic. Um and so that's not not probably not the main benefit of doing this, but uh it's it's a nice side benefit. So the idea is basically that uh you know, if you're going to launch a satellite into orbit or something on SpaceX, um they kind of drop you into a number of like default orbits, but then if you want to get to your own custom orbit, they'll they'll act as like a shuttle to get you to your final destination. That's cool. cool. All right, so Zephyr is at point twenty eight right now. Is that that's not the last version, right? Um, so we we've got one more at least in the works. Zero point twenty nine is coming up soon, and you know. Obviously, there's there's been a lot of talk about Svelte Kit, and so that's where a lot of the development focus is right now. Um, but in the meantime, there's still a lot of PRs that we've been getting for smaller issues in Sapper that we wanted to try to get in and, and get another release out. Um, so I think you know probably the the biggest highlight is for all our TypeScript users. Um, we've we've gotten I think probably like four or five changes in to Sapper 29 for um, TypeScript definition improvements, which will be a really nice quality of life improvement for our TypeScript users. Uh, TypeScript supports pretty new within Svelte in general. And so there's, there's a lot of other places in the Svelte ecosystem where we've been making a lot of TypeScript improvements as well. Um, but, but Sapper is definitely one of them. Um, and then, you know, I think the other place uh, in, in Sapper 0.29 where we've seen a lot of improvements are in the router. So a lot of uh, fairly minor bug fixes, but, but things that, that are just kind of nice usability improvements. Um, there's been a couple uh, scroll tracking bug fixes that, that we've gotten. And... Um, Actually, you know, seeing those come in kind of was uh, a motivation. We ended up rewriting the entire scroll tracking in Svelte Kit, and so um, oh wow, those those bugs are are not in Svelte Kit. Uh, but more importantly, there's there's a couple of edge cases that Sapper still has. If you like navigate off the site and come back, the scroll might not be exactly where you'd expect it. Um, it works pretty well uh, in Sapper today, but but in Svelte, I think we've taken care of all the different edge cases that that we knew about. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna be the voice of the people who are less in the weeds, and since we have with you know we have two people deeply involved in in this, uh, could, could could we could we have a high level? What is the difference between Sapper and Svelte? Like just you know a, like a recap because I think it's helpful for listeners. Yeah, so I think the the biggest difference, and you know, feel free to jump in here, Anthony, too, with your thoughts. But um, I think you know the the biggest change in my mind is the developer experience. You know, Svelte Kit is built uh, on top of Snowpack and uh, ES Build, and so you're going to see compile times be a lot faster. And that's something that's uh, a problem in larger Sapper projects. You don't notice it necessarily when you start out uh, as a new user with Sapper, but when you start to to grow your projects, some of the compile times with Sapper can get to be a bit longer. Uh, our hope is to fix all of those issues and make it a really, really smooth experience with Svelte Kit. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that entirely. That that's probably the biggest benefit, and it's definitely the one that I'm looking forward to the most, which is. So, so for, for a sort of context here, we have some pretty big separate applications and at one point, one of them was taking two minutes to build when you first booted it, um, just to run into the dev environment, which is obviously really bad for, for local dev. Reload times were 20 seconds or so, which also kind of sucks. Um, I did actually nail that down recently, very recently, to, um, I was using Svelte Feather icons, which uh, is, a tr- is a tree-shakable library of icons. Um, but there's probably like 400 icons in there. Svelte will still compile every single icon every time you use that whole library. So if you've got like 
other libraries that use it as well, or other modules, uh, it's going to compile all of the, all the icons, which really takes a couple of milliseconds, but it builds up. Um, I basically took that library and I did I did deep imports as Rich Harris and in fact the author suggested. I also then made my own little cut down version of that library, and it took it took my build time down to six a sixth of its original build time, so it's now twenty seconds to start, and it's a big application. So that dev experience, that alone has made my whole development life a lot easier. Svelte-Kit, it should be like microseconds, right? It should be so tiny to get the application up and running. We all, we've already seen them in Svelte-Kit and, and Snowpack itself. Uh, changes you make, reload, they're instant. They're almost, you know, you almost don't think it's happened because it's so quick. So absolutely, 100%, that is the biggest benefit. I think the second benefit, which is also another place where Kit came from, uh, Svelte-Kit came from rather, is so when you build an application Sapper, everything is kind of treated the same way. You're building a dynamic web application. You can export it as a static site, but you've got those two options and it's kind of one or the other, right? There's no middle ground. The idea with Kit is that it will build the application in a more optimal way. So you'll break out bits that are, Kit will for you break out bits that are static and make them as static as possible. It will take bits that are dynamic and make them as dynamic as possible. And it will take out bits that are sort of in the middle and, and do the most optimal things. So you'll end up with an application that serves itself up in the most optimal way for your what your application is, uh, which should should make it really, really nice to, to host and, and also cheaper to host and also more efficient to run. Um, I think on top of that, then, uh, I suppose the other benefit to Kit uh, is the modularity, um, which we're trying to break things to, into, into modules, whereas SAP is kind of an all-in-one. Um, and then the, the final thing, I suppose, is the adapters. So the idea being it's it's serverless first, but not restricted to serverless. So you can host it anywhere you like, but it's designed so that you can host it on the serverless platform, which is probably the ideal hosting environment for this very, very easily. The adapter defines your entire deployment layout. So um, there's a multitude of adapters and you can basically just uh, pick your adapter, run the, run the keyword, which is currently adapt, um, and it will convert your application into something that's suitable for where you want to host it. And I think those are probably the top, the top five benefits. As to how close we are to the project right now, we're obviously all close, but Rich is the one who's currently using it in production. Um, it's very much, of course, his project. And so I think that when it when it comes into beta, which will hopefully be soon, then there'll be some really interesting things in that probably we don't even even know about yet. Yeah, I've been I've been using Svelkit today actually to to build the new uh, Svelte Radio website. And it's, nice. it's been great, except for, for like the, the issue of no documentation. But I mean, that's, <laughs> that's expected, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, took me a, it took me a while to figure out that fetch was actually something that came with the load function rather than using like a this.fetch thing. So that was, I think currently it is. I think this, that's one of the things that's sort of, what do we do with fetch and load? How's that going to work? That's one of those yeah. discussions that kind of goes round and round a lot. I know Ben's been involved in that discussion, actually. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some documentation coming soon. I actually have drafted a set of documentation just based off the Sapper docs and then updating it. And I'm sure I, I missed some stuff, so we'll, we'll need the community to give it a look <laughs> and, and find all the, the changes that I missed. But So I, I've sent that out to the other maintainers and... For review and hopefully, you know, I don't know if we're we're ready to publish it yet, but at least uh, we're working on docs internally. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's great. It might be an interesting <laughs> step to publish the docs uh, without publishing the code, it, just to get like feedback before you actually, you know, one the code. Yeah, it might be an interesting. Docs yeah, we're, we're definitely, design. I think, gonna need some some feedback on the docs. Um, I think, you know, there's hope they're hopefully pretty close, but there's. There's enough of them that I'm sure there are things here and there that, that we've probably missed. So yeah, I mean, so so an interesting, interesting approach that that would be like a black box approach where you've got the product and you've got the documentation, but you've got no access to the source. So you only have the documentation to look at to figure out how things work. That's actually an interesting technique. I don't know whether it would be really frustrating or just you know would be a really good exercise. But <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess. If you don't have the source code available, you have to rely on the docs, and that's that could work. I don't know. I, I'm I, not sure I mean, that, that should for that should force the docs to be really good, though, right? Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They'd have to be. It's, uh, we could discuss it maybe. 
Yeah. I don't know when our next maintainers <laughs> meeting is, but uh, we can we can bring that up maybe. Uh, yeah, I think actually one of the things I'm really uh, most excited about with SvelteKit is a maintainer, which probably doesn't doesn't sound exciting as a user is that um, we've now got a configuration file, which is like a kind of a obviously a basic feature. But, you know, we had a lot of different PRs in Sapper that, that are in the queue that depended on adding some new configuration option. And we really wanted to find a way to do this holistically. Like a lot of these different PRs suggested different ways of configuring your project uh, or whatever new option they were adding. And so we don't want to have, you know, half a dozen different ways of enabling any new feature. And so now we've kind of got one standard way of doing that with SvelteKit. And I think that'll unblock a lot of development efforts where, you know, we, we wanted to come up with a holistic way of doing it before merging all these PRs. And so hopefully a lot of the PRs that are in the Sapper queue uh, we can revisit with SvelteKit and, and get those in. And I think, I think um, in terms of configuration, the original, the holy grail for Rich is no configuration at all, right? But I think he's realized now that that's probably not a possible thing because there is, people have different use cases and the project is quite widely used now. Um, and I think that one of the fallout you saw from not having a config file is that every other project that uses Svelte has a config file. And they all use different formats and these different ways of doing things and different namings, different variables. So we've created this SvelteKit config file and almost defined the format of what Svelte config would look like. Um, it's nice to be able to do that, I guess. But what it means is that you'll see a few other projects around Snowpack being one of them where their config file format for Svelte's actually changed based on the ideas from SvelteKit. So hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll have reached this kind of, we've kind of converged on this final config um, layout as much as possible, at least anyway. It's very cool. Uh, it, this question actually makes me ask another dumb question, which is um, SvelteKit seems spiritually much closer to Svelte than Sapper was. Like Sapper seemed like a different project altogether. Like it could have been uh, run by a different maintainer. Is, is that, you know, the config file is, is named svelte.config.js, right? Something like that. I think, I think right? Like it's not svelte.config.js. Like this is svelte. Like we are we are we you know essentially is the meta framework kind of just like just merging into the framework the framework itself. I mean, I I think that they'll they'll always be separate code bases, and like you should still be able to use svelte without using SvelteKit. But you know, for for folks that are getting started, we want to have kind of a blessed path that makes it easy to get up and running. If like, if you look at the Svelte FAQ today, there's like a question that says, uh, you know, what router should I use with Svelte? And there's like half a dozen different recommendations in there. And it's, I think, hard as a beginner to know what the difference is between all those routers and which one you should use. And in the future, that that answer is going to be SvelteKit. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that it, there's kind of one way to do development that works really well that everybody's, you know, put their eyes on and, and made sure that we've uh, made it a good experience. Uh, and so you'll still be able to do all the things you can do with Svelte today and still build your own Svelte project without using SvelteKit. But, uh, you know, for, for folks that just want to get something running without having to to put a lot of thought into having how to put all these building blocks together, we we want to make that really easy. So so this this makes me think of uh, of like an SPA mode. I think that's been something that that's been missing in Sapper for forever. I think right. So is is that something that you could do with just one of those adapters in SvelteKit? I don't know if it'd be an adapter or a new option, but it is something that that I expect will be coming. We've We've got a, a ticket internally to build that. And oh, so nice. I and I actually had a PR to do that in Sapper. And one of the things that got hung up was, on was, you know, how how do we want to configure this? And so I, I think that that question's been unblocked now and, and hopefully that's a feature that you'll see coming. I think one of the one of the problems with Sapper was that um people really didn't know how it related to Svelte at all. 
Um, like Sean says, it's almost like a different maintainer. It's, it's almost like a different project. Um, so I think one of the ideas with Svelte Kit is that we bring together, it's, it's a kit around Svelte rather than an application framework that happens to use Svelte, if that makes sense. So it's a, it's a series of tooling that allows you to take Svelte from a UI framework or a UI language or a UI library, whatever you want to call it, into something you can build a full app with. Um, Sapper was Sapper App Builder, but it wasn't always clear that that's what it was for. And yeah, like Ben says about the routing and stuff, it was confusing. It's got its own router. Can I use that router externally? No, you can't because it's kind of so core to Sapper because it does SSR and SPA and needs to be baked into the product. So yeah, so Svelte Kit will, the idea being it's like an extension of Svelte. It's a superset of Svelte. It's a thing that sits around Svelte. Now, the caveat to this, of course, is that um, there is still uh, a, a notion of a Svelte kit thing. So you have like attributes prefix with Svelte kit. Things like Sapper no scroll translate directly to Svelte kit no scroll or kit no scroll. I can't recall it actually, Ben. But um, the no scroll attribute is prefixed with the kit notion because it's specific to, uh, to kit and it means nothing outside of that. I've actually been uh, looking at the, the change log. There's not much in there in the in the Svelte Kit one, but it's fun to to see when when new uh, new versions go out. The Svelte Kit change log. What, yeah, where's that? It's it's in the. Uh, <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. You can find it on. Oh, I, th- I actually think didn't know the there module. was a change log. I've never seen. <laughs> <it>, so <laughs> is, he, is he talking about the, nothing in it? Yeah, it logs. might not be updated. <laughs> Well, I mean, it seems to be updated. I, sh- I should <laughs> find it like, once I can. We're on like version zero point next thirty-seven or something right now, I think, and it doesn't get released that often. So it's, I mean, it's it gets it gets a new master branch every like I don't know. Yeah, so, so the so the, the latest uh, the the latest uh, patch notes are prevent infinite loop when fetching bad URLs inside error responses. And handle assets path when pre-rendering. That, these are quite recent, I think. Where are you yeah. seeing yeah. this? Is this like yeah. a leak? I checked those in last <laughs> night. I think that uh, PM 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 which we use uh, is is auto. Oh. It's set up with chain sets, and it's probably auto generating the change log based there off the yes. commit log. That's yeah, what that it is. Sense. That's what it is. Yeah. It's on unpackaged yeah. anyway. It's fun to see, to, to look at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though it doesn't make much sense. That makes sense. Yeah, the change log gets checked in. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I've got other, a couple other sort of beginner y questions. Is the goal, so is, is the goal sort of one to one parity with Sapper, or do you think we'll have to lose anything? I know there'll be a migration path, but um, let's talk about, you know, what's the trade off? Like, what, what are we. Are we, are we not losing anything? Like, is this... Yeah, I think that's been one of the hard things with uh, the development of Sapper is we, we do still get PRs to Sapper. And, you know, we've, we've been trying to merge as many of those as we can. Um, at the same time, there, there have been some that have proposed new features. And I think like we don't want to be in a situation where uh, people adopt a new feature on Sapper and then it's not present in SvelteKit. So... Um, you know, trying to be really careful that any changes that we make in Sapper, we're also making in SvelteKit. Um, and uh, they're, they, they share a lot of code, but they're also different code bases. And so some of those changes are easy to port and some of them uh, are not. And so, um, you know, it's been kind of a case-by-case basis to figure out, like, which are ones that we can easily add to both versus like which are things that we should just wait for SvelteKit and add them there. Cool. Yeah, I think I think SAP is in a kind of like a maintenance mode, isn't it? It's it's in a mode where we still support it. We're still obviously interested in fixing bugs and things because people rely on it and at times it might great. But the idea of being the migration path is so smooth that anything new can just go straight to Kit. Um, and we have to have major features. That's that's the goal anyway. The, the thing I the thing I've never been sure I've never used ES Build. I've I've like looked at the docs, but I like you know we're we're essentially switch, switching, um, you know the the bundler from either rollup or 
uh, what you call it, Webpack, <laughs> and switching to <laughs> ES Build, uh, and like, is is does that is that a smooth process? Like, don't we lose stuff? Like, you know, whenever I want to use something, um, in in my in my tool chain, like I, I know I can either pick Webpack or Rollup, and it'll probably work. Uh, but not I have when it comes to adopting ES Build, I, I have no idea. Yeah. So the if you use Zapper today, it's actually invoking your builder for you and it's it's tweaking the builder in hidden ways too which it so like sapper has its own internal plugins that um trying to remember exactly what they do now but they you know i think a lot of the stuff around like like they inject your CSS files into your JavaScript files um, and they do code splitting on your CSS. And then they it pulls out information about your build in order to build the preload headers that are in Sapper. And so we're, we're in kind of this tricky middle ground right now where you can configure your build, um, but you don't have complete control over it and you're not executing it. And I think that like, there are parts of that that hopefully are a little better structured in SvelteKit. You know, so like one of the things that people have been asking for for a long time is the ability to uh, do basically what we've called adapters in SvelteKit, where like we've built these adapters to allow you to host on all types of different environments. And so like, you know, we want to allow you to host on an environment that doesn't require node, for example, or like we want to allow you to export to static pages or for cell or now, or these different hosting platforms. And I think that was kind of tricky to do before. And so there with SvelteKit, there are still parts of the, the build tooling that uh, are not directly managed by Webpack or Rollup because they're, they're managed by our bundling process, but now we have first class support for all of these different platforms. I think I think also when, when Ben talks about um internal roll-up plugins and internal webpack plugins inside inside Sapper, um it, it's true. What 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 you see in Sapper as a as a webpack config or a roll-up config, it looks a lot like a roll-up or webpack config, but it's not really. Um, what it is is it's a configuration file that one has some Sapper stuff injected into the output, so it, so Sapper tells it where to put its files. Um, but also the whole thing exports things, rather than actually be run through Rollup, it exports things that Sapper then augments, and then that gets pushed into Rollup programmatically, right? So it's all kind of an illusion, really, with Sapper. It's very, very heavily tied to the internals of how it works. And I think SSR is one of those reasons for that. Um, with SvelteKit, it is ES build, but actually one of the core concepts of Snowpack, which is what what ES build is, is running through, um, Snowpack uh, defines a no locking strategy. So you're not locked into using Snowpack when you build a Snowpack project. Therefore, um, you can remove Snowpack and build it wherever else you want. There's no nothing specific there to Snowpack, and that stays true for SvelteKit. Not that you can rip out Snowpack necessarily, but because it's quite built in because SSR. But what you're getting there is you're getting ES build for your local dev environment whilst you're developing. But when you pump the build out to the side uh, and bundle for production, you're using just pure rollup um, or, or Webpack. Whereas else I think I think it's got rollup support now. I don't know if it'll have Webpack support, but it will have just pure output via rollup. Um, and also as another kind of layer in direction here, the ES build self. Um, the ES build plugin uses the rollup Svelte plugin. So therefore you can actually adapt that because it's still compiling Svelte through rollup through ES build. Oh. Right. So you're not really escaping from, from bundlers uh, in the, in the most common sense. Rollup is still there in order that you can pull things into your ES build and they get converted to JavaScript. And then the JavaScript uh, is what ES build is compiling. But that's all in dev. So when you come to produce a build for production, you're using Rollup. I believe it's a Rollup plugin now. Um, so your your final production build is still a Rollup build. Probably even more of a Rollup build than what Sapper uses right now. <laughs> that's actually really nice. Yeah, thank you. The, there were also, I think, in Sapper, some, sometimes some confusion around 
like, do I do things and roll up our Webpack or do I do them in Svelte pre-process? So, you know, if you want to use post-CSS, for example, like there's multiple ways of setting that up and some work better than others. And so, you know, hopefully some of those stories we can make be a little bit clearer with SvelteKit. Yeah, so I think uh, that's one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about in Svelte Core is source maps for preprocessors. So Svelte has had source map support from the beginning, um, but if you wanted to use a preprocessor, then you lost source map support. Um, it was something that they just got implemented in one of the recent versions. And there's a number of kinks that we've been working out over the, the past few weeks. And so... You know, that's been entirely driven by the community. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple of folks, uh, Mila Hu and Dimitraj, that uh, I'm, I'm terrible with the, the usernames. I probably got those slightly off. But there's a lot of issues today where, like, if you try to use TypeScript with Svelte, where the, the source map support just isn't great because TypeScript support with Svelte is so new. I think that you'll see that get fixed in the next couple releases. So there's going to be the next uh, release of Rollup plugin Svelte and the next release of Svelte will both have additional fixes. You know, that, that supports getting to be fairly good today, but there are places where things are off by a line here and there, which makes it difficult to use. And so... Uh, that's gotten really quite a bit better over the, the past weeks. And that's going to be really exciting for a lot of users. That sounds great. I actually had no idea. I, I always saw, in, like in the pre-process code, there actually is a, a way that you can you know, modify the, the source map and, and send it back to Svelte. Uh, I had no idea that it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> there is. And so Rollup plugin Svelte, executes the preprocessor and executes the Svelte compiler, and it needs to hand the, the source map from the preprocessor to the compiler. And that was like a one-line change to make, but it just hadn't been implemented yet because it was, <laughs> oh my God. it was really a pretty new feature. And so that was kind of like one of the final pieces that we needed. Like we built these features uh, independently, and then we just needed to hook them up. And so... That's going to be in the next release of Rollup plugins, Svelte 701 or 710, or I don't know what the version number is going to be, but yeah, whatever's after yeah. 7. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's only, only programmers debate what comes after 7. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is like a, there's a lot of overlap here with the language tools, it sounds like. Are you working like closely with, with Simon and Whoever else is working on those? Um, yeah, I think that things. for this particular feature, like they, it hasn't uh, really overlapped with language tools a whole lot. But um, Simon's helped a lot with a lot of the the TypeScript improvements. Like in Svelte Core, he's been <clears throat> adding type definitions, and so. Uh, I think when you combine these different features together, the, the type definitions and the, the type definitions that are in Sapper as well and, and the source map support, the, the TypeScript story is going to really start to be a first-class story and become a much, much better experience. That's awesome. A lot of people want, want TypeScript, from what I understand. Yeah. You're not wrong there. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so there's this uh, Svelte loader th loader thing. Is, is that a Webpack thing? Yeah, so I think probably all the maintainers use uh, Rollup, which means that unfortunately the uh, Webpack plugin had gone unloved for a little while. But Webpack five recently came out and spurred uh, a bunch of interest from the community in updating that. And so we've recently gotten a, a good chunk of PRs into that project. And so the, the next version is going to support Webpack 5. It's going to support Node 14. And it's got a completely rewritten HMR implementation. There was kind of a 
HMR implementation in there from the Svelte 2 days that never worked uh, with Svelte 3. And so that was always kind of like the top issue in that repo that the readme says there's HMR support and there, there really wasn't. And so that that's going to be a really exciting release for Webpack users, which I think is probably like, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40% of Svelte users. Um, it's, you know, it's a sizable chunk. Oh, that's so it's a gonna, lot. Yeah, I think it's going to make life a lot better for a lot of people. And so, you know, it's a big, big shout out and thank you to, to all the f- folks from the community. Again, that was another thing that was entirely community driven. So um, non-25 and Smitty VB and Rixo, uh, you know, got, got a lot of those changes in and really drove that whole process. I know no it's one's funny because like either. Uh, it's pretty funny because <laughs> yeah. like that's those are their Discord chat names as well. So yeah. Yeah. That, yeah that, that, those are their names as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Sometimes they get up names as well, yeah. <laughs> that's right, Swix. Swix, yeah, yeah. Um, consistency is good. Um, yeah. 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 Right. So so we have some some questions from the from the community that we uh, that we asked for. So we have one here. Should uh, should people with Sapper apps panic? Should they panic a lot or just a little? With I don't think they should panic Sa- at Sapper. all. Yeah, I mean, the, there's going to be a, a fairly easy migration path. Um, we've already like migrated the example apps. Uh, the externally, those those are still on Sapper, but. Uh, within the SvelteKit repo, those have all been migrated to SvelteKit, and like that was a, a fairly straightforward process. We need to put together a migration guide still, but that's something that we'll do. And actually, the the real world uh, sample app, Rich basically completely rewrote because it was never really written in in the way that Sapper apps should be rewritten should be written. So that that one was a, a bit of a larger change just because there was a whole bunch of other improvements that, that got made there. But like if you look at the Hacker News sample app, like that was pretty straightforward to port. That was a, a pretty small set of changes. And so the, there's so much of the Svelte code, like all the, the client-side Svelte code especially is, is basically the Sapper code. And so like the, the code that's going to be in your project hasn't really changed. Most of the changes in SvelteKit are all like they're in the development server and they're they're on the server side and and Sappers or SvelteKit's internals. And so, you know, it's it's the things that users don't really touch in their projects that are changing the most. Cool. That sounds good. Another question is uh, so from from a user um, how can they uh, help out pretty much help the core team develop these things. Yeah. I I think that what Svelte needs more than anything is, is people getting involved and helping us review issues and PRs. There's just a lot of them and it's really hard to keep up with them all. Um, And, you know, and we, it's kind of a, catch 22 like we want to encourage more people to to get involved so that we have more help with those things but you know it's it's so hard uh keeping up with them all to to really uh get people involved with with the projects submitting prs and and so i think it's really the review of those things that's actually how i ended up becoming a maintainer was i kind of noticed that the sapper prq had grown quite a bit um, and I just went through and started leaving comments on all of them unprompted. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how that was going to be received, but uh, luckily it was received well. A lot of those PRs have like since been been checked in, and uh, there's still a lot more I know that that we need to get get to and get in. Um, so we're trying to make it through that backlog. I think another thing is we recently put up an open collective, and so. Thanks to everybody that's contributed to that. You know, I, I don't know that we've had a lot of communication about how we're we're going to use those funds, but I th- think one of the things that we're most interested in is bringing on somebody to help with triage of some of those things, and that 
might not happen immediately, but you know, as, as we grow a bit of a balance, that's one of the areas that we're going to be looking in is that is probably that and ways that we can accelerate this felt's development. It makes sense. And I think, yeah, in terms of reviewing PRs, like uh, that's also a similar way to how I got in reviewing, reviewing issues and, and, and sort of, you know, figuring out if they were real issues or not issues or, or whatever else. I think that reviewing PRs is super useful, giving the code a try. Um, the hub project by GitHub makes it really, really easy to actually just test those PRs out. You check out Svelte, you use hub to change the PR, and then you just basically run your your test project against uh, against the PR. So it, it is quite easy to get set up, and then it's just figuring out if it works or not, really. So, yeah, I, it's all stuff that go to a contributor's guide. But again, it's also something that we haven't really got around to building properly yet. Um, yeah, I think yeah, one of the... That sort of stuff is super useful. Yeah, I think one of the things we'd, we'd really love is to have kind of a, a guide to the code and a contributor's guide that, uh, you know, right now we, we've got the contributor's guide that kind of has some guidelines about how to contribute to the project, but it doesn't really help you get ramped up on the code base. And there's really only like a pretty small handful of people, you know, there's like three or four people that know the code base really well because it is uh, a pretty complicated, Plex piece of code. And so, you know, if anyone wants to take that on, we would love to have a better contributor's guide that kind of describes how the code base is laid out and like where the core pieces of functionality are and, and how they fit together and how they work to help get more people ramped up in the community to, to being able to contribute. I've actually, so a lot of times when I introduce Felt to people, I actually send people directly to the code base to show like it literally, you know, to, to prove there's no runtime, you just show the direct instructions. Um, I, I forget the name of the functions, but it's literally, so most of the functions are just like one-liners, especially when you're, when you're doing like the um, DOM mutations. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's, that's one way of really getting familiar with this Felt code base, but also just understanding Felt fundamentally. Um, you, you've inspired me. I, I, I want to go ch mm -hmm. uh, check out some PRs. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe like a like a video tutorial or screencast showing off like how you would uh, how you would review a PR or do anything more major rather than just like That's, typing yeah. out issues could be something. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah we could put maybe. that on the YouTube channel for Swell Society and, and yep. just get more eyes to it. Uh, might be it might be an interesting method, um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds like there's a bunch of ways people can support like monetarily, uh, PR review, and and then I guess more documentation on on uh, the code base quality. Cool. All right. Um, do we have any any other interesting topics we want to talk about before we head on to picks? That's an interesting one here that's it's from the Twitter, but it's obviously not directly related to what we asked. But it's, when do you think the first roles of Svelte developers will start to appear? I mean, that's an interesting question because from what I understand, there's actually quite a few roles out there appearing now. I think Decathlon were most recently hiring. Um, I'm not sure what they're hiring for. It could be a new team. It could be the existing site. Because for those who don't know, the European Decathlon sites, which is a huge, a huge brand in Europe um, and in the UK, in fact, their, their their new site they rolled out in Europe is actually running Svelte. The one in the UK is running the legacy code base, it looks like. So maybe it's porting the UK one, I'm not sure. But um, but they're absolutely hiring right now. Yeah, they're looking for Svelte developers. There's quite a few jobs in the, in the jobs channel on Discord if people want to have a look through some directly related to Svelte jobs. Um, I hired two Svelte developers. You know, I hired literally four Svelte developers, so that's good fun. Um, I'm not hiring at the moment, but maybe again in the future, a bit of luck. Um, but yeah, so there definitely are jobs out there. You just have to sort of uh, know where to find them. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw one by uh, by like uh, one of the, the largest uh, Swedish universities looking for a Svelte developer. I think for for some sort of like data viz, but I'm not sure. Nice. That was interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I saw actually a school. Uh, I, I was seeing on um, Discord today. A school, uh, a school child, fifteen-year-old, has actually said that his school's asked him to learn Svelte as part of a project. So that's super interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't. He's, he's like he's come to Discord with his homework. Like 
They've told me to do this to spell. Oh, How do I do it? Is, is it, is like, it the guy that, that uh, has contributed a lot to the Svelte Society website lately, maybe? I don't know. I don't think it is because he was saying that you found Svelte very complicated. Oh, I was like, well, okay. kind of, yeah, but also not. Not really. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's weird, though, because like, if schools are teaching Svelte, that's awesome. <laughs> you yep. can't get better than that. Um, I, I guess I should also mention we keep track of um, you know notable production um, usage of Svelte on the tw- mm. on the Svelte Society Twitter. Uh, the typical ones that we always raise are like Spotify, Apple, um, IKEA. And what's IKEA? Yeah. IKEA. Uh, and then uh, I, I guess the, the data on the data vis angle. I guess the like the, the official government uh, German government site for vaccinations is also oh, in Svelte. Right. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. We have Square Enix and and, and Disney. Uh, they they had like Kingdom Hearts, and their their um, landing page was in Svelte. Uh, there, there's there's like a bunch. Um, Alaska Airlines for their booking reservations uses Svelte as well. Oh, really? There's there's just a bunch. And, and and these are just like the household names. Obviously, there's there's a bunch more. Uh, Schneider Electric and Beyond, of course. You know they, they use Svelte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, household names exactly. Um, but I, I, I'm not so much in favor of like Svelte jobs as just like you know web developer in general, and then just pick the tool that that fits you. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about having Svelte in the job title. Yeah, I, I think I think the reason I like that concept of svelte jobs is because you know if I were to stop doing Bianca and go get a job, I really would want to just carry on using svelte, and I would be looking for a specific svelte job. I wouldn't be looking for a front end job necessarily. I'd be looking for a, a svelte job, um, just because it's something that I enjoy using every day. In fact, like I said before on the show, I'm sure it's kind of I, I've, I'm a full stack developer. I could do any part of the stack, and I've always kind of avoided front end. But actually, Svelte is the one thing that's brought me back into the front end, thinking I really enjoy working on, on web UIs again, which is which is quite a statement, really, because it's still quite difficult. You know, there's still browser compatibility to worry about and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I, I think it's, it's valuable to have a Svelte-specific job, and I think that that's um, a good thing that that's being advertised in that way. We do. Yeah. So hot takes, what's hot your... takes. I shall go first, then. Yeah, you should. Oh, it's your segment. First. So this is gonna this is gonna this is where we where our ratings drop to zero, right? So yep. code comments are bad. I just wanna say that. Just co- all code comments, they should be banned. I have actually what? written lint rules in the past to remove them so that you can't commit comments to your code base. <laughs> the reason being, if you've got code comments in your code, it means that your code is violating one of Kent Beck's four main rules. It's, Kent Beck is, is very prominent in this sort of stuff, but he is absolutely right in that code should show intent. And if you're writing comments to show intent, then your code is obviously not showing intent. And for me, that is a direct, you know, a direct violation. So for those who don't know Kent Beck, have a look at him on Twitter. He's very, very prominent software dev, been at it a very long time. A lot of the stuff, if you kind of follow his guidelines, makes a much, much cleaner, much more readable, much more sensible, logical code that's easy to maintain. So the priority map, as he does, it has four elements uh, from lowest to, to highest. The, the the lowest element in his map is fewest element. So that's the fewest component parts to make it a whole. The next two are to no duplication. Obviously, you know, DRY principle, don't repeat yourself. If you've got duplicated code here and there, it's a maintenance headache, it's a testing headache, and it could go out of sync. So remove that into a single place, abstract it, and call that. Again, within reason, it's not like a hard and fast rule, it's within reason. Um, then the second one on that level is reveals intention. Your code should read in that it reveals intent so that it makes sense what to a person reading it. An additional downside to comments in this concept is that a comment is not testable. So a comment can go out of date when you write the code. Uh, someone can change that code and not update the comment. There's no test to check that. So therefore, the comment can be invalid. If somebody's relying on that comment, which for comments to have a purpose, they'd have to rely on it then it means that they're reading something which isn't true and potentially even does the opposite of what the code says. So they're a danger. If one comment is false or wrong, then or even misleading, because it's the English language, right, or whatever language, but mostly English, um, it can actually give the wrong impression about the code. It can say the wrong things, and then you end up um, misunderstanding the code and potentially writing bugs. So therefore, my, my, my notion here is that code comments are actually bad. Um, and of course, his, his top uh, element in this in this map is passes the tests. That's probably the most important of all. No matter anything else, as long as it passes the test, it's good. But 
back to code comments quickly. I believe that code comments are a code smell. I believe that code comments are a bad thing. They're damaging. And I genuinely believe that they they do more harm than good. And um, that's my controversial. Uh, that's my, <laughs> I can't even speak now. That's a that very is good my one. Controversial opinion. <laughs> I always get flamed on this for Twitter. I always get flamed nonstop. Well, so so, but, so uh, just to be super clear, uh, the entire Beyond code base does not have comments. You are correct. Not a single comment. Kind of amazing. <laughs> well, it's it's it does make you write better code. It does make you write better code. Do yeah. you? What about Svelte? Um, Svelte PRs. Like, do 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 you do you would you reject a PR over? You know, an excessive comment of you. You probably allow so small comments. The Svelte code, yes. Yeah, so, so the Svelte code base goes against a lot of the things that I believe in standards, like linting and things like that. It, it goes against them. This is Rich's style, and is you know the general maintainers agreed style is, is totally fine with me. Um, comments are the same, right? The, the notion is that comments are included in that code base. So therefore, I'm totally happy with comments being there. Um, so I accept PRs with, with code comments then because it's not a violation. However, I will admit to when I see Rich adding code to the code base, or even Ben adding code to the code base with loads of comments, I'm like, no, internally, right? <laughs> internally, I'm having a fit, but I'm just like, it's the way. It is how it is. It, the, the weird thing about linting and about code style is it actually doesn't matter. What's more important is that everyone uses the same code style. So therefore... If this is the code style of Svelte code base, and I'm more than happy that we don't spend time bike shedding about whether you should underscores and variable names or use a camel case, I'm much more happy that we should just have a single style. And actually, I'll be honest, I'm actually coming around to underscores and variable names now, which is really not boding well with my team because we've always been against that. But hey, you know. <laughs> oh, progress. Yeah, <laughs> we, we actually had some, someone comment on Twitter that the the Svelte code base does have a bunch of uh, underscore stuff, and uh, it's, it it's quite readable. It's quite readable. Um, it is. It, it has yeah. underscores internally, and it uses camel case for its external API. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, Kev. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, any any other unpopular opinions? I have one, a short one, but. Well, I thought that, that right. was such a good one. It's hard to follow. Uh, ben, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll jump in and say, uh, don't use SvelteKit yet. Uh, just use Sapper for now. Yeah. <laughs> I know people are really excited to use SvelteKit, but uh, you're just going to cause yourself more trouble. There's no documentation for it yet. There's not really any support for it yet. Like the things are still changing. Uh, and so... Uh, I know like people are starting new projects and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to migrate, but it's it's not going to be a painful migration and uh, it'll be be a lot less pain than using a project that uh, we we don't really intend for people to use yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It's popular yeah, okay. here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so I have a, I have a small uh, unpopular opinion. Maybe it's not unpopular actually. It's hard to read Tailwind. I started tinkering with Tailwind, and it, it's it's actually quite okay. It was better than I thought, but um, but reading it is really really rough. Like having having the so, HTML full with classes. So your opinion is that it's hard to read Tailwind. I, yeah, I guess so. Wow, that, I mean that that is that is the burning fire. Pitchforks, um, pitchforks are dawn. Well, uh, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's 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 not so much that it's hard to read. It's more like it's just like a jumble of everything in the HTML, and mm. and, and I get confused. So I'll probably learn. Who knows? I'm I'm no Tailwind fan. I, I'm probably inclined to agree with you. It's it's class overload, but um, but yeah, I can see that definitely causing some controversy. It is nice though, like for this one project I've tried it on. Ben, what's your take on Tailwind? I haven't used it yet. You, you probably have an opinion, though. You probably looked at it. <laughs> I haven't yet. Uh, I'm trying to bait you. And you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't take safe. the bait. You didn't take the bait. Uh, all right. Um, I, I won't. I won't uh, comment on Tailwind stuff. But um, I can. I can uh, jump in with the last um, unpopular opinion, which is that mm -hmm. serverless is killing static sites. And I just realized this. That like there's really no more reason to have like a traditional static site generator that 
um, pre-generates thousands and thousands of pages. Like we we used to benchmark Sapper on like can't, how long does it take to do thirty thousand pages? Like it doesn't matter anymore. Um, and I I realized this partially because of Swagkit, partially because of Remix um, in the React ecosystem and Next.js. Um, everyone is just moving towards serverless as like the the rendering unit. Um, and I think that's why, like, the reason we had static site generators churn out so many sites was because uh, compute was, you know, centralized and we needed to run the build process and then distribute it on a CDN. And that model worked. But now that basically every hosting platform has serverless and it's super easy to spin up, then we can just, like, run the... Um, the, the 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 page generation on demand and cache it, um, and there's no need for a static site generator anymore. So that's my unpopular I mean, opinion. Yeah, I think I think that I think I I kind of agree with that opinion because obviously, like generating on the fly is effectively static site generation. You're generating something into a cache. You're just not doing it at the time All of inception. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it kind of on request. on request for the first request. That makes sense. If you've got a sensible caching strategy and a way to clear that cache, then then yeah, I think that's a great that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah so I mean, I, I I don't know if I don't know how profound this is, but like you know, obviously I used to use Gatsby a lot, and Gatsby is like, uh, if, if this insight is true, then Gatsby is kind of dead. Uh, so is like every other. Static site generator, like you, it's it's fine. I still use it because it's like a uh, tried and tested code base. But just the 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 develop the experience of like updating a page and not having to wait for a, a billion minutes for for it to rebuild, it makes it a superior uh, paradigm already. Absolutely. All right, picks. What do you have? Picks. We gotta go fast now. Right. So we gotta run. My pick is <laughs> the Tado Smart Heating System. So I've been, when I had my boiler fitted, I asked the, the fitter to fit me this, like the cheapest possible wireless receiver because I was going to get smart heating. And then I didn't this for like three years. such a random pick. It's not that random. This is pretty, pretty good, eh? But anyway, so um, <laughs> I've had more random, surely. No, so I was going to get fitted. Uh, I never did anything about it. And then one day this cheap smart heating system, this, this cheap, sorry, this cheap wireless heating system, um, which I will name Salus, don't ever buy them that crap. Um, it actually just broke, just just stopped working one day. And I was sat in the middle of December in England in the cold, which is like one degree or less Celsius. Um, so I got, my friend had Tado. I looked it up. It is the most amazing, beautiful onboarding system. I've, you know, products come with a how to set product up. And usually it's, it's varying levels of how good it is. Um, this product is literally you as a, as a lay person going and adapting, opening your boiler and fiddling with the wiring, right? And yet they managed to talk you through it on a smartphone, step by step, every single detail, what's important, what was occurred, what, what you should label, everything. I did the whole thing in like 12 minutes or something, end to end. I took my boiler apart for the first time ever. I took all the circuitry out my boiler. I started unscrewing things and rewiring it and God knows what, I was doing crazy stuff, right? And it's totally fine because Tado is, is, is so watertight and set up. You tell it what boiler you've got. It even shows you a picture of your entire setup. And I thought I had a pretty random setup, specific boiler, specific water heater, specific wireless transponder, which is some, some NAF, Silas, Sailor, Silas product, whatever it is. It had pictures of all of it and how to remove it, how to fit their stuff. Fantastic. So it, it, the product alone is great. It's wonderful. It's great smart heating, but the setup is just, it's something that people should aspire to is how to onboard people onto a product. So my pick is Tado Smart Heating. Wow, well done. <laughs> ben, do you, do you have no, one? That's hard to follow up. Uh, I'd say uh, my pick is <laughs> Narcos Mexico. That's the, uh, I know everybody's been watching Tiger King and uh, that chess one, but- uh, Queen's Gambit, I, I was, yes. Yeah, yeah, Queen's Gambit, so Wait, I'm, it, I'm all about Narcos Mexico. So I watched, Narcos, I watched the okay. original Narcos. Is it, is it just like with different actors? Like what? Yeah, like, it's the is same it related thing, in any way? it's about the Mexican cartels. I need to watch. This sounds great. I need to watch this. The, yeah, the, the first Narcos is really good. Um, it is. Yeah, definitely drew me in. Sounds yeah. good. So my, my pick is uh, something called Kitty. It's a, it's a terminal terminal replacement. It's pretty wow. nice. You can customize it. That's pretty much it. 
as in, in K I T T Y, right? Yeah, yeah, like a small nice. cat. It's 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 actually <laughs> very very nice. Um, it's GPU rendered, which is better than than those electron thingies. It's just what you need for a terminal, right? Yeah, <laughs> need to render some stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll pick um, Audacity. Uh, I don't know if you guys have messed around with it, but it's it's open source um, audio editing software, um, and it's surprisingly powerful. I've never really, I, I've used it before to to edit minor clips, but then I took some time over the weekend to learn how to uh, set levels and like mix clips together and like uh, post process like pops and stuff like that. It's really powerful and it's open source and it's very performant uh, and just. Amazing piece of, uh, I guess, open source collaboration, and and I, I didn't I didn't know, I I don't know the history behind this, but I'm I'm curious to learn more. But it's 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 just really good software to use. In other news, Sean will be our new editor of the podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, it is a lot so of that, work. That's, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so that's all the all the picks then, and that's it for for this time. Uh, thanks, Ben, for for coming on and talking about Sapper and Svelkit. And, uh, Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Everything else. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, talk to you guys next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>